The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning. Welcome to the show. I'm very excited to talk to my guest today. His name is Chris Gormley. He's the Chief Executive Officer of SMI Aware, an internet and social media resource. Uh, so, you know, times have changed. Private investigators, or as they used to be called, gumshoes, used to have to walk the streets and knock on doors to obtain information. But although that's still true, we know that volumes can be obtained on a any subject and almost any person through the internet. The key, however, is to look at the right data and analyze it and compile it in a usable format. So, welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you for having me, Francie. It's a pleasure to be here, and I'm going to talk about stuff that doesn't involve shoes or gum, so that's good. (laughs) Okay, very good. I'm really glad to hear that. (laughs) So, well, first, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, as you mentioned, I'm the CEO of SMI Aware, and uh, I've been that in that role for about a year or so. I live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. It was a disappointing loss the other night when the Pens lost uh, to the <laughs> Rangers, but uh, we, won't, we won't say anything there. And I've, uh, I've actually done, I'll call it cyber investigations for about six years, and I have a background in general technology development. This is my fifth uh, technology company uh, in the cloud computing area. And I have a background, an MBA from the Wharton School of Business and a degree in chemical engineering as an undergraduate. So I lead a team here in Pittsburgh today with SMIWare. It seems like a a stretch to go from chemical engineering to an MBA in finance and strategy. What is up, what's up with that? Well, I, I think I've, I've found a number of different interesting roles throughout life, kind of reinventing what I've done. I, my, my, what brought me to Pittsburgh was a company called Free Markets, and uh, we, we did online industrial auctions uh, back in 1998. And as a, the VP of product management, I developed a skill in building software to address business problems. And that's essentially what we've done at SMI Aware is the problem that a lot of investigators face is how do you get online information quickly and easily without having to spend hours and hours in front of a computer and effectively becoming a a professional Googler, as we say, um, because you have other things to do with your time. And so the solutions that we've built here leverage my career and my understanding of how to create great software and lead professional services teams, which we both have here at uh, SMIWare. Well, it's really exciting. This is a really, um, it's it's an innovative approach, isn't it? 
Yeah, it's, um, you know, the problem that at least we've seen from the industry, and we work with about 100 plus, uh, about 125 now licensed investigators throughout the world in the UK, Australia, India, the US, of course, and Canada. And almost universally, they have the, the common challenge that, you know, either A, they don't have time or B, they don't have the expertise to look at what we call public internet intelligence. And it's not just social media, although that tends to be the, the area that most people focus on. Uh, we, we view public internet intelligence as anything that you can gather in the public domain on the internet on an, either an individual or a company. And that includes things like social media, that, what, what you can get from a Google search, for instance, as well. We call it the visible web. And then the deep web are areas that you can't get from a search engine, typically because it's dynamically created content. And then finally, in an area that we're, we're putting... Wait a minute, wait. Ho, ho. What is dynamically created content? What is that? <laughs> yeah, sorry. I've got to watch my acronyms and other things. That I <laughs> so I guess an area that most people, I'd say, in the industry are familiar with are when you go to a court uh, record site. So you go to a county court record site and you enter in the, your subject's information. Well, they're going to dynamically create results as a, as, as a function of... Uh, what you add, and that's not something you're going to get on Google directly. So that's an example of dynamically created content. Okay, and so how does how does the public internet intelligence differ from social media? Can you distinguish between those two? Sure. Or maybe it's, maybe you already did. Yeah, it's much broader. So, for example, when we tend to view uh, information for our clients, we're not only just looking at social media, which would include sites that most people are familiar with, like Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, etc., but we're going to look at things related to the deep web. So, for instance, certain court record uh, applications, um, other uh, sites that you're not going to necessarily get from a search engine. We'll also do a general uh, Google, Bing, and a number of other search engines uh, searches, and we'll look for any information that's available on the visible web. So that could be something like a post that somebody made as a comment to a product, for instance, that might be on an Amazon site, for instance, or an eBay mm-hmm. site. And that's content that, that is useful in understanding the character and reputation or whereabouts of an individual. Could also be photographs, right? So there might be a picture of an individual that's useful uh, from the open uh, or from the public internet intelligence sources. And the other piece, and it's an area that we're putting a lot of sort of R&D dollars in, is the archive web. So increasingly, as you think through um, both social media and the web itself, um, people, particularly in, in legal cases, oftentimes take down their social media and other, and other um, uh, site postings. And so the key is to go back in time and try to find those in some instances. And there are certain emerging applications. The most, I guess, well-understood one is the Wayback Machine or the Internet Archive. But, uh-huh. but increasingly, there are other sources that allow us to um, find what's out there. And also, that's something that we're increasingly doing where we're archiving certain um, subjects' information so that it's available for reference later in case something Interesting. happens. Yeah. Interesting. So. Okay, so how would you be different from a data provider? Yeah, that's a good question. So if you're looking at a traditional, what we call structured data provider, and you know some of the typical names, well, I won't use names. I think we all know that these are people that you would use when you typically would run a query on your, your subject. So you'll, you'll try to get their addresses. You'll try to get um, um, any you know reported uh, criminal record activity that's structured information that's already been processed what we're focused on is unstructured public 
internet intelligence. And what's different about that is it's dynamic and it's changing all the time. So, mm-hmm. for instance, a, a post could be done at any moment of the day. A picture can be posted at any moment of the day. A website could be taken up, taken down, etc. And that's information that's in the wild that's totally changing. And most of it's user-generated information. It's information coming directly from the user. It's not necessarily... Uh, created, of course, by some third party, like a lot of the information that you get from a structured data search. And, and it's also much more multimedia oriented. So you're going to get photos, video, text together. And so you've got to know how to kind of mine all three of those elements. And you're just getting that real-time intelligence that you can't get from a regular structured data query. Hmm, interesting. Okay, so... Um, hmm. <laughs> what, it's also a lot harder to process, and this is this is something that you know we've taken pains in our product and our design to create an environment where it's very easy to process uh, the unstructured data so that you can make sense of it. Because as you pointed out, the first step is trying to figure out do you have the right person, right. and there could be plenty of people with the same name and the same location. And that's something that's not always a trivial exercise. Once you know you have the right person, you can mine and drive in very deeply into the information itself. But again, it it requires a different skill set than maybe running a a typical query. And a lot of the companies in that industry haven't quite figured out how to handle the unstructured because they're approaching it as a database query where it really isn't. You have to consider many other factors, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Yeah, and I, and before we get too far here, Chris, I want to uh, I want to mention your resources page on your website. Would you give that address because I think that uh, particularly private investigators and maybe other listeners that aren't private investigators would be interested in, in reading what you have to offer these various resources. Oh, sure. Uh, how to, yeah. The guides. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, the URL is www.smiaware.com backslash resources. And as you mentioned, we have uh, a number of how to investigate guides, which includes Instagram, which was published in PI Magazine in the United States. Uh, We have another one that just came out in the last issue called Pinterest for Investigations. That's in PI Magazine as well as on our site. We have another one called uh, Facebook Graph Search, which is another how to use Facebook Graph Search. We also have Mm -hmm. one that just came out called How to Investigate the New MySpace. Uh, Everybody knows MySpace from way back when, but there's a new version. And we have a whole series of these that we're working on. The next one that we're planning on releasing is How to Investigate Craigslist, because that's an area for asset identification a lot of private investigators target. You must have a difficult time keeping those updated as well, as fast as things change. They they really do. And uh, even with Instagram, which is the one we wrote most recently, um, you know, they've added uh, a number of things even since when we wrote it. So there's now, uh, you can now get short form videos, of course, on, Insta- on Instagram where you weren't really able to do that before because they're trying to compete with, with Vine and a number of other providers out there. So I think, you know, that also captures a theme that I've seen in the industry. And that is more and more, of course, is photographic and video oriented and less text based as the content becomes available through the use of mobile devices. So, so much of what you see in social media and the open internet is available uh, via mobile devices. And that's what's becoming the currency, if you will, of what we we tend to find and and make use of. Uh, So the great thing is a picture if you're thinking about things like associated individuals, you're thinking about who, you know, 
a lot of, and maybe you could um, give me your experience, but a lot of the people we deal with and private investigators many times don't know who they're, you know, what, who they're looking for, right? You might do a database query, but you don't necessarily get a picture showing the individual right. that you're seeking out. And so when you're trying to do, um, you know, tail them or try to, you know, understand who they are, having a picture is oftentimes worth quite a bit. And so that's something. Gold, that absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So um, how, so how do you go about pulling those dots together to determine that you have, say, the right person you're looking for? You know, particularly when you have a common name, that's always a problem. Yeah, that's, uh, that, that's something that we developed. Our company was started in 2011 as a background screening company for pre-employment. That was our original mm-hmm. focus. And as a result, you would never want to report the wrong individual to an, you know, a, a, an employer who's doing a background check. So we've developed a series of, you know, tertiary and other identifiers. So, for instance, you, you um, would, of course, look for the first name, last name, but you're looking for other identifiers that uh, could be a photo, it could be an address match or two, it could be a username, it could be an associated individual. So there's a combination of factors that allow us to say with a certain degree of certainty that we've got the right person. And that's, mm-hmm. that's, the, that's both what we apply with our information analysts that oftentimes support PI uh, investigations, but also what we're trying to build into our software to give you the tools to do this yourself, if that's something you choose to do as an investigator. Tell me more about that. Yeah, well, we have um, we have a number of different um, models that exist, and it really comes down to what kind of investigator are you. And so, okay. the most basic one is. You're somebody who might be a sole practi- you know, practitioner. You might have a few people working with you. And you don't necessarily have a large staff to do many investigations uh, by hand. And so that's where you might use our, uh, what we'll call uh, information analyst supported orders, where you would put your subject information into our software. And we have a team that would, in fact, do some of the secondary investigations for you so that you get a, a report that you can literally hand to your client if you felt comfortable enough to do that. Um, the, other, the other model is where you might be a larger investigation shop where you have a team of analysts where they focus all day long on doing this kind of work and we have a suite of software that they can use themselves where they effectively get the same tools that our analysts use and they can use this internally and do things themselves and use the same tools that we have. And so that's another model that exists. So part of it is depends on you know, what your business looks like as an investigator. Are you a, a large shop that needs tools to make you more productive? Mm-hmm. Or are you an investigator that needs essentially an outsourced staff, if you will, to do this kind of work for you while you're in the field doing other kinds of work? This sounds really expensive. Is it? Well, I, I guess it depends on how much you value your, your own time. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so now, uh, I know you don't want to you don't want to talk about fees and that kind of thing on, on the show, but uh, just just an idea. Um, is it something that a sole practitioner could could work out? Oh yes, I mean, of course. Large we, companies usually can. We have plenty of sole practitioners, and just to give you a sense, I mean, I, I know approximately what people would get paid on an hourly basis. I mean, it's typically about a half hour, definitely less than an hour of, of your hourly fee um, for each order if you use the information analyst supported orders. And what that does on average, we found that it typically saves each investigator anywhere from one to three hours of their time from finding the information, from 
capturing it, from screenshotting it, from tagging the information inside the, uh, the, the actual results that come back for their client, for writing up a quick report, for creating the report itself with your name brand and your logo on it, and then distributing it. So our software does all of that. Um, you could put your own user, you could put your own brand, your own color, your own title, and you get a screen captured result, uh, which is the picture of the website as it exists at that time with a date and timestamp on it. You get links to those sites and you get a write-up that illustrates what was found, um, not only uh, what, what the information is, but rather what are some of the insights that uh, our, our group gathered. And you can put your own notes into that using our software as well. So we're providing time savings on a search basis, time savings on a productivity, which is just general, generally putting together reports and capturing all the sort of unstructured internet information that's out there. And it just saves a lot of time. Plus, the expertise is built in. I mean, part of the reason why we created the how-to guides that we have is to show just really how complicated it can be to learn all of these and to do them well. And you really want to do that. You certainly could by using our self-service um, software. But if you're going to mm-hmm. give it to us, we'll do all that for you so you don't have to worry about it. And that's a little bit of the value proposition that we offer. Okay. So, all right. So, I have a, a kind of a technical question. Uh, as an investigator, we're often asked to testify in court. And it could be on a criminal case. It could be on a civil case, civil tort. And... We have, we have to be able to validate the information that we're talking about. So how do you do that when somebody from your organization does the research? Yeah, we would, we would um, you could join, we can join you in court to do that. And we have procedures, okay. procedures that we could describe where you, you could reflect those procedures in court yourself. It depends on how comfortable you are with them. Um, we have written procedures. We have our computer systems that uh, follow a certain procedure and a certain path. And so as far as validating that goes, we have all the backup evidence and our log records. And, and of course, many, you know, many instances, we sometimes are asked to do that information or at least provide affidavits to, to the effect okay. that we collected it. Um, the other thing to state okay. very clearly Chris, is that... Let me, oh, yeah. let me interrupt you. We, we do need to take a break. I'm so sorry. Oh, yeah, that's um, sorry right. to interrupt you here. We're going to pause briefly for a commercial break. Stay tuned. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call one 800 350 C-A-L-I. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress 
and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Chris Gormley is my guest today here to talk about his unique company, SMI Wear. Uh, Chris, you were just saying that um, if there was a, a case where you had to prove it, prove up the research legally that you could either have somebody appear in person to testify or by affidavit or something like that. So I think that answers that concern. And, and I was um, uh, just about to uh, follow on that uh, response with the fact that we're, we're collecting information that's in the public domain. So, I mean, I mean, I think that's a question that oftentimes that we get asked, uh, do you do you get information that's private or set private by the users of social media, for example? Um, no, I mean, if you set it as a private uh, account, that's not an area that we're going to get. We don't we don't friend anybody. We don't uh, do anything of that nature, although certainly we've been asked to do that. Um, we're only getting what's available um, on the site available to anyone who would be on that site or publicly available via visiting those social media sites or, you know, the general internet as a whole. So mm-hmm. that's an important point that we oftentimes get asked that question. For sure. And, you know, I might say, I mean, I know that uh, people that that don't work as a private investigator may be very concerned about g- data being gathered about them. And, I, you know, I just want to say that we have the in the United States the best open system in the world, and it benefits all of us because if you have you may not want your personal information out there, but it is already out there. It is there already. And if you had a le- uh, some kind of a case, a legal case, a sexual harassment case, uh, some kind of a civil tort that you wanted to pursue against another person or another company, you need to have this information. You need to be able to access information to help your case. Yeah, absolutely. So it becomes a catch twenty two. Absolutely. I mean, I mean none it, of <laughs> it's always a question of you know whose side you're on, and 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 like you said, if you have a case where I mean, we've worked in cases where you know people were going to jail if they didn't win, or or there were you know murder cases, um, uh, less severe. Criminal cases, civil cases, et cetera, and in many instances, we're either looking at you know who should be a witness or who should be on the jury or who, of course, is telling the truth and and what's their reputation look like, and also finding associated individuals, right? So that's a that's an area that's very um, prolific for what we do. So you can imagine on a typical social media site, I'll give you a, an example of a case we worked on where the subject individual. 
um, took down his social media profile entirely. Mm -hmm. And we were able to identify uh, family and friends around that individual. And many of them, of course, kept their social media profiles up. So we started with Facebook and went to a number of others and were able to then collect photographs from those sites. And those photographs had that subject individual in them and photos like, for instance, at bars with your arms around somebody or, uh, you know, a woman sitting on his lap or whatever. I mean, he knows these people, right? Uh, these these right. are not casual photos. So then you identify the individuals in the photos and we created a list of, of 18 or so additional witnesses that the legal team was not aware of as a result of that kind of analysis, which in turn allowed the PIs to go out, interview, and get additional witnesses, um, earning them fees, of course, but also helping the case as a whole. Um, and so that's a, an example of how you can use uh, the implicit information in a photo, but also you can use the friends list explicitly. So most social media sites, of course, including Facebook, uh, have lists of friends, and many of those are public. So you capture those lists of friends, you could start making, uh, you know, essentially a, a spider chart or a associated individuals map. Uh, and that's something that we're working on creating uh, a piece of software that will do that automatically where you can tie Twitter, Facebook, and other sites together that have friends lists and then automatically create a associated individual list, which will allow you to not only uh, cross-examine witnesses better, but also do, for instance, pre-employment better because you can now look at reference checks by looking at who knows whom within an overall structure. So that's just using public information that's available for anyone to use, but you're, you're having to put it together in a different way. And people, mm -hmm. are, people have been doing this for years, right? So Correct. Uh, it's just now there's available uh, new information sources and new analytic tools that you can do this much more easily. It sounds really interesting. Now, I, I also see that you have a white paper for lawyers. We have lawyers that listen to this show, so they might be interested in knowing a little bit about that white paper and what it's called and where they can access it. Yeah, that, that's accessible at the same resources page that I mentioned earlier, which is you know, just our, you know, www.smiaware.com backslash resources. And the title of the article is, is um, Leveraging Social Media for Litigation. And so in okay. it, you know, it describes different use cases and how the legal profession can use social media. We're also working on a, uh, a continuing legal education or CLE accredited course where we would either provide that directly to attorneys, but in many instances, provide that to a private investigator who can in turn use that with their clients, uh, who many, many of whom are um, uh, attorneys. So that's an area that you know, we have a lot of um, evidence to show attorneys how this might work for them. There's also mm -hmm. case studies on our, on our uh, site as well as um, um, a legal uh, one-pager that just shows what's the value to an attorney. Uh, we also do quite a bit of work with um, insurance companies. So, of mm -hmm. course, workers' compensation and your normal property and casualty insurance uh, tends to be very large areas, not only for PIs out there today, but also um, direct insurance companies and then third-party administrators. So anywhere you have a claims department, um, that's an area that social media has been very effective in helping them almost as desktop investigators do this kind of work. And um, I know a lot of that work is actually eventually ends up with investigators who are customers of ours. Let's, uh, Chris, let's talk a little bit about Instagram because I know people are always interested in Instagram. 
Yeah. And it's such a uh, dynamic uh, product. So uh, tell us about that one. Sure. Well, I mean, Instagram, um, of course, is now owned by Facebook. It was acquired in 2012. Some people don't know that, but that's part of the, the ever-growing ever Facebook empire. Um, I think they only paid a mere $1 billion for that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a bargain. And um, Instagram, of course, is known for their sort of square-shaped photos that are many, many, if not all, originate from mobile phone uh, photographs. So as I mentioned earlier, as people have better and better uh, cameras on their um, their mobile devices, Instagram has become a destination for where you would post this info, you know, the, these photos. And then they have these great filters that allow people to change the look and feel of those photos to add emotion or a feel to them. Um, there's also a geotagging feature in that um, if you have it active where you'll actually see where that photo was taken physically. And of course, the ability to comment on, you know, the photo itself and share that with people in your network network and they could reshare it very similarly to how many other text-based social media sites work. Um, Instagram also recently added a, uh, I think, 11-second duration video um, up, upload where you can uh, load mm-hmm. short-form videos. Right. And that was to compete largely with Vine, which has a shorter but very popular um, uh, short-form video as well. And so Instagram has been a great source for uh, obviously, picture uh, evidence as well as text because there's always a post with it. And the other thing to note for investigators is that Instagram, like a lot of sites, actually link to each other. So many times we actually find either Instagram or Pinterest or these others useful to point us to another social media site that may in fact have a full name on it or might have a user ID that we didn't know about. So many times what we're doing is we're looking for a user ID on somebody who's, uh, we, we get as a subject name. So you might have John Smith as your subject, but John Smith might be using, you know, uh, 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 a username that might be short one, two, three or something, right? Which, which is just, mm-hmm. just some random term, but you can start associating that. And if you actually entered a query for, for his username, a whole world lights up that you didn't see by just typing in his full real name. And that's another difference between your traditional database-oriented searches and your native cyber searches, right? You have a different, you know, sort of lingua franca, if you will, where Twitter IDs are are worth a lot, emails are worth a lot, uh, user IDs are worth a lot, because those are individual identifiers, right? Just like a social might be in the sort of offline world. Um, and once you know what those are, you can do a much more targeted search. So, you know, Instagram is a great starting point for us for those instances where if we get a photo, we know what the person looks like and that allows us then to cut and figure out we've got the right person by just using photographs. There's also another tool and a lot of your investigators probably use this today, but Google added a reverse photo lookup feature where all you do basically is you right click after you add this and it'll look for every instance where that picture or that, um, illustration is on Google's indexed um, um, uh, sites, and it'll show you where those uh, pictures are. So sometimes we'll use that uh, in our own investigations to find other instances where that person's photograph is located, where you wouldn't have found that by just typing in a term. And sometimes that's a way that you find the user ID, not even knowing you were looking for it by using a reverse photo lookup. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. A great resource. Yeah, it's been really useful for us. There's a company called Tenai, which is another 
um, provider of this service. But I, I, I've not had a lot of luck with TenEye, nor has our, as our analyst staff. The Google reverse lookup is, is, is decent, although many times, you, you know, when you get a hit, it's great, but many times you don't. And so, um, you know, we're continuing to use um, photo recognition internally. And the way we work, basically, is we use a lot of our technologies with our own analysts first. We kind of try them out. Mm-hmm. We beta test them, if you will. And then we, we put them in our overall platform. We make those available for the overall um, audience of people that we have using our, our software. So, you know, the idea that if you have photos and you can extract them from a Facebook account, we want to be able to tag the individual that you know about and then identify them in every other photo and then identify them not only in those photos, but the ones we get from LinkedIn or the ones we might get from Instagram. And so you could start telling a picture that would be otherwise would take you hours to do it by hand just by using computing power that you probably use on your, you know, your I, um, iPhoto application at home, but now let's build it into a, an investigation platform that you can use as a private investigator. This sounds so exciting, uh, Chris. It's just uh, really amazing. And I really applaud you and your organization for being so creative and innovative to d- develop these, uh, all these analytics and I guess algorithms and everything else you're doing to put it together. It's uh, really amazing. Uh, well, well, and, it's, and it's exciting as well. Well, thank you. A lot of, a lot of our, um, frankly, I, I wish we were as creative. It, it, a lot of it comes from problems that our customers face, right? So a lot of the investigators we work with will say, um, gee, it'd be great if we could do X, Y, and Z, and then we'll we'll design something that does that. And you'll figure it out uh, to do X, yeah. Y, and Z. And, you know, the other, the other thing that I always like to think of our organization is, is we're sort of like your your own your own outsourced IT department. You know, if you're a if you're a private investigator, even some of the larger ones, to find really good tech resources, particularly those that are sort of at this blending point of big data meets social media meets you know the internet as a whole, that's that's a pretty hard resource to come across. Period. But then to have it in such a way that you might be able to call us up and say and suggest a feature and then I'm also very um, insistent that we turn our software very quickly so it's not unheard of for us to hear a feature and have it turn, turned over into our production system in two weeks or less just because that's the way we operate. So in essence you, you have that kind of resource that I, I want us to, to make sure that um, you as an investigator have the latest in technical resources, even though you don't have to, of course, have them yourself, right? And that's the whole idea of cloud-based software, which is what we offer. It's on demand. Mm-hmm. And I've always viewed right. it as, you know, we have information as a, as a service and we have analytics as a service, and, but it's very focused on the unstructured public internet intelligence that's out there and available. Chris, can you give an example of um, maybe a situation that would... Um, highlight what you're talking about and how it can be used? Oh, as far as like finding information? A case example? Oh, yeah. I've yeah, got, a case example? I got plenty of those. Um, um, well, it, I can talk about criminal. I could talk about civil. I can talk about insurance. Um, um, you pick one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, um, something that was really significant for you. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, you know, there, 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 are, there are lots of different interesting cases. Um, you know, we helped with, for instance, a, uh, uh, a murder investigation recently where uh, an individual was um, basically breaking in and, and um, assaulting elderly individuals. And we were able to find 
um, social media evidence uh, that he was more or less confessing to these crimes and um, also associated individuals to that person who could be witnesses to the case. And so that was used by the attorneys involving the prosecution. And, you know, that's evidence that, you know, in some instances you find, of course, with police cases, but in this instance we were able to find that largely because we were able to associate the real name to a series of user IDs that um, were, in, in a court of law, able to um, associate that individual to the post themselves. And so sometimes it's direct evidence. In some cases, we make that association by using a series of photographs and, and textual names that we can then make the association and then tie the evidence that isn't, isn't coming from an obvious search by that individual's name. So that's, that's an example. And I can give you another, you know, another example like that we had where it was an assault case where an individual was, was accused of, of an assault against, um, uh, and we were able to then identify um, the woman who was accusing the assault against the, uh, the individual and showed that that woman um, actually was, was um, uh, uh, her credibility was, was more or less destroyed by her profession and we were able to show that this wasn't an assault at all because of the photographs and the evidence we were able to then collect and associate a MySpace page that she had with a handle and then take the handle and associate it to another photo where she was advertising you know, um, herself as a, as a prostitute basically. And, and we were able to then make that association. And that literally had a, uh, an easel in a court case where there, there's the photos that we were able to collect, um, uh, from the social media sites on a, on a civil case uh, level. We have plenty of those, um, a lot of instances of people that are on long-term, uh, claim contracts where they're being paid, uh, some compensation because of workers' compensation, uh, where they'll claim an injury or they'll claim um, a certain mental uh, 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 handicap, and we'll find evidence showing that in fact they're healthy, like they're riding ATVs, and here's a right, video of right. them on the ATV, or here's their yeah. uh, statements that they're actually happy and and they're describing exactly how happy they are. So that, that's a, that's evidence that we we collect on a very regular basis. Um, and so th those are examples that many attorneys will run into, uh, well, matrimonial cases, a lot of child custody cases where, you know, you're trying to show one parent is more fit than the other. And again, you know, the reputation and the evidence that people uh, illustrate on social media specifically, but not just social media, but the open internet, uh, as I mentioned, is, is, is very illustrative. We found a, just recently an employment situation where, um, Actually, it wasn't so much an employment. It was more um, they were looking at a business deal where an individual claimed to not have an interest in a company. We were able to run a, a set of corporate searches in a, in a state and show that, in fact, this individual owned a competitor to the company that he was, he was claiming that he owned no other interest in. And that pretty much scuttled the deal at that point because of the fact that Hang he Hang on to that thought. Yeah, Chris, hang sure. on to that thought, would you? Uh, more to come with Chris Gormley and SMI Aware. Don't go away. This is good. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. 
It's the largest association of its kind in the world. Cali's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact Cali at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's Choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. So interesting today to have Chris Garmley with me to discuss his innovative company process to conduct internet and social media research. Um, Chris, you were just talking about a cakes example that I, that I cut you off in the middle of. Uh, could finish that up if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, um, and, you know, frankly, I, I got to say that uh, I'm trying to remember which one it was. I was, I was, in, I was in the middle of it. And uh, um, yeah, I think it, it, it had to do with um, workers' compensation and, yes. uh, and, and what we could find in that area. And I think, you know, when I say we find, I mean, everything I'm describing thus far is in the mode where we have an information analyst supporting a case. There's also quite a few cases that um, are processed in our system that we, we have really no idea other than the person running them is a, is, is a licensed investigator or has a legitimate need to use our system. They're doing it in an automated way. So we're not going to necessarily know all the details associated with what was the outcome. And I do know that one of our larger clients is a, is a financial services company, and they do hedge fund manager background checks as well as, you know, should we invest in these hedge funds? Uh, and, sure. you know, who's the manager and what's the company? So in that instance, that's, that's a pretty non-traditional use case. But another one is, is looking at, uh, we had a case, for instance, with an advertiser who wanted to vet talent that they were going to put on YouTube and a number of other mm-hmm. properties. So they wanted to see, you know, is there any crazy stuff out there right. on this talent that I'm about to invest all these millions of dollars behind in an advertising campaign? And that's a that's maybe a non-traditional way. And the reason why I mentioned some of these, and I, I have some other examples, is, you know, as a PI, you think to yourself, how do I grow my business? And, you know, there's clearly the end users that are probably the more traditional ones, which are attorneys and, and um and uh, insurance companies, but what else can you do, right? And what are some new emerging fields that allow you to do some, you know, useful investigations? And what are some other ways of making money? One, one way that, um, and we don't have this commercial yet, but we're working on it right now, is, is you know, to what degree you can, you can actually monitor a profile on an active basis. And 
here's a mm. here's a use case for that. If you have somebody who is under quote surveillance, right? You know, to, in the past, you'd have to sit there in your you know your your car or or or, or you know trail them. Um, you can essentially do a virtual stakeout, if you will, on a number of profiles on the internet. And if they post something that's of interest, like I'm headed to a specific city this weekend or something that's of interest to your client, that could immediately uh, result in new fees for you because now you could be uh, employed by that end user to go investigate what, what more is out there. But also, it saves you time because you're not having to do it yourself. Um, so exactly. a system that monitors and provides you real-time information. And also, like threat detection is another field that you know, we're also getting into, and that could be an, another emerging area for a private investigator. So how do you look for threats against a facility or against executives in a company that occur in the, you know, in the open uh, public Internet intelligence arena? Because many times you hear these uh, horrific uh, shootings that occur. Sometimes those people clue in the public on their intent, but nobody was looking to see in fact, that there was clues for uh, an act of violence or some other situation that occurred beforehand. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a that's an entirely different way of using um, the technology that we have that we've been working on and should be releasing somewhat soon. That's really interesting. So, is, are those the trends that you see, Chris, and just developing more real time monitoring and and targeting, um, for lack of a better word, terrorists and keeping our you know, keeping us all safe. Do you see that as the trend, or are there other trends that are emerging that that you see as well? Well, I mean, I think the biggest trend um, is is the one we're all aware of, and that is the explosion of of digital data, and much of that is user generated, and much of that is public. So, you know, the the amount of information. If I had a, it's harder to do this in a radio, but if I had a chart, it would be a big hockey stick showing how much available information is out there today in the in sort of the unstructured domain. And that reveals, provides clues on individuals and companies that you should, you know, you as a private investigator need to be able to harness. And so that's not going away. I mean, people are getting more and more smartphones. Um, they're getting much more like a computer. They're better cameras, better video, better sound, better text. So all that is just being connected to each other and shared in a public sense. So when you think about your practice, when you think about what you're doing, how do you harness that? And how do you harness it from a real-time standpoint? So the time element is the other piece. As, as more and more of this technology becomes sort of real-time, I mean, imagine Google Glass. You know, today Google Glass went on public uh, sale. Um, you know, whatever you think about it, it's just another device that captures sort of real-time telemetry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. so it, the time element becomes more and more important. The delay that you have from finding a fact out on an individual or a company and reporting it to your client, that, that, is, getting, that is getting pressure because the, you know, the amount of information that's out there and your ability to actually react to it is increasing. So when I say monitoring, I'm really just talking about how do you capture it very quickly and have it available because the expectations keep going up there. And then you know, the final sort of, I guess, big trend in all of this is, is multimedia, is the ability to, to have photos and video and it's not just a text game anymore, right? Uh, so 
having, you know, how do you mine that? And that's, that's a pretty tough technical question. How do you go through a video and identify what you're looking for without having to sit there and watch the whole thing? So tools to do that, that's going to be something that I know we're, we're very much focused on. And as an investigator, you know, how do you go about doing that to get that kind of information that's out there? And then, you know, of course, privacy and what's private and what isn't, that will always be a concern. And, and the legislation is not necessarily kept up with, I think, the emergence of the technology that's out there. So, I mean, we all continue to see, you know, where does that, where does that line, you know, reside? And Chris, how do you how do you respond to the privacy advocates and to the legislators that are trying to close down things like social security numbers and some of these accesses? Sure. Well, I mean, there definitely is information that has an expectation of privacy, and I think if you have an expectation of privacy, that should be maintained. Um, I would say with information where there isn't an expectation of privacy, where you post something on a social media site with no you know private settings or you. Uh, uh, post photos or statements, et cetera, it, it's hard to argue that that, at least in my personal opinion, that, that that is something that would receive protection because of the intent of the user. I think things that are a little bit grayer are sometimes harder to define. Uh, when you share a post with another individual, uh, is there an expectation of privacy? I think some of the case law that I've read says that there isn't. Um, should a social be, you know, obviously a social security number, in my opinion, should be, of course, kept private. But as, as, it, as it pertains to investigators, I know a lot of court records are now removing the social as, a, as an indicator of, um, of, of, of an individual because of, uh, you know, identity theft that, is, that has mm-hmm. occurred in the past. So as an investigator, it becomes even harder to get the information. The other, the other thing I might add for our international audience is that in many instances, in some countries, the, the public records that are kept by the government aren't as, as good as one might expect um, you know, internationally. And therefore, those folks in the, some of those countries have better access to mobile devices and they post more information online about themselves that's probably in some cases better, more accurate than what the, even the government and other groups would keep on them. And so um, that becomes much more valuable to collect for identifying information on individuals that is out there. So when you think about the international basis, it's important to kind of understand the technology, you know, that is collected on a regular basis um, by traditional database sources versus what's available in the user-generated public Internet intelligence world. And so that's an important factor. You know, uh, we have a, a controversy going on in California regarding the people that collect um, license plate information, yeah. license plate readers, and and that uh, the position in opposition to that, you know, and the, uh, there's a bill pending before the state legislature that uh, will essentially restrict that information only to law enforcement, and the op- the opposing position to that is that. If somebody's car is on the street and their uh, picture is taken to that car with a license plate, it's on a public street. There should be no expectation of privacy. You, what do you think of that? <laughs> I'm, not <a> legis- <laughs> I'm not a legislator or, or an attorney. So no, just I, an I opinion. Might wanna, just I might want to keep my... Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, it's, it's, it, I think all of this is very, it, it's very interesting. I mean, when you think about even Google Maps, for instance, right? Um, I mean, a funny story, I just, I, the other day I was uh, looking at my own house in Pittsburgh and I don't know how I got on, I don't know how I viewed it, but the picture was updated and I, I looked at it and I'm like, man, 
the the degree of accuracy and you can literally see in my garage right i had my garage open when i took the picture really? you can see all the items i had in there and it's all there right and i'm thinking gee what right do i have to restrict uh what somebody is showing uh, of my own uh, property. I mean, should I have kept my garage shut to you know, protect it? How did I know the Google car was coming by? And yeah, I know there right. are companies that literally mine that information so that property and casualty insurance companies can, can you know, see a trampoline in the back or a pool or something of that nature, right? And, then, uh, and so it, it's a, like I said, I don't, I don't have the answers. I know, um, I mean, like for instance, just recently in Europe, the decision by the EU to, uh, uh, require Google or other search engines to remove information if the individual wants it taken down, but you don't have to do that on a source computer, which uh, Google index. I mean, it's just an interesting pending legislation that could exist that restricts privacy, but at the same time, people want things for free, and you, you're, you're effectively paying for it by some removal of your privacy to get those things for free or reduce cost. Um, but, you know, it's the devices continue to get smaller, they continue to get more powerful, and they continue to capture more and more of real life. And, you know, it's just, it's just a, fact, a fact of our world today that more and more of that's going to be, become public um, and available. And so I... Yeah, and, you know, the reality, Chris, if you, if, you, if you contact a company and ask them to remove your data... It doesn't solve anything because they've received that data from someplace else who received it from someplace else, and it becomes layer on layer on layer of, of data. That's right. That's right. So you just can't get it removed out of, out of the entire world. That's right. And so a lot of, I mean, we sometimes do talks at universities where we'll speak to emerging college students who are about to go into the workforce. And, you know, part, part of our advice there is, of course, you need to think of your online persona as every bit as representative of you as your, you know, regular real-life persona. And, unfortunately, the online persona has a memory. And, you know, what you did in college in the past, et cetera, it's, it's there. Right. And it's very much there. And it's yeah. there, you know. So I, I just, you know, going forward, you need to think of that, right, and make sure you manage it in a professional way. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I can't imagine things that I would have done as a, as a teenager if I had to, uh, if they were out there now. It probably would be pretty ugly, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so, Chris, it has been just fascinating talking to you. I, I hope to be talking to you further. Uh, this is just uh, you know, such an interesting topic. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to be with us. We're at the end of the hour, so... Um, let me just say, if you're interested in advertising on PIs Declassified, you can contact my wonderful producer this show, Sandra Rogers, at sandra.rogers, R-O-G-E-R-S, it's at S-A-N-D-R-A dot R-O-G-E-R-S, at voiceamerica.com. And we continue to offer content of interest to private investigators and other legal professionals to, cha- to challenge the existing negative TV and movie myths for our worldwide listeners. Tune in again next week. Thank you so much, Chris. Very interesting. Thank you, Francie. Uh, you're welcome. We'll declassify more real stories from real investigators. It's PIs Declassified, and I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to PIs Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. 
Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call one 800 350 C-A-L-I. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.